today. Hallelujah. Lord, we praise you this morning. Hallelujah. Come on, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Come on, somebody needs to hear that today. God is for you, not against you. somebody hear what the Holy Ghost is saying to you today. God is for you, not against you. Hallelujah. Well, let's give the Lord a good hand clap of praise today. I feel his presence. Come on, I feel his presence. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Isn't the Lord good? Somebody say praise the Lord. The Lord's good today. And it's pretty obvious that beginning with the choir and all the way right up to this point, God has something very specific to say to us today. Amen. Amen. Although sometimes we feel surrounded, it breeds insecurity and worry and fear and anxiety. The Spirit of the Lord's come to remind us today that He's for us. He's with us. Amen. He's not forgotten us. We're not forsaken. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost up here. I don't, I don't know what you're feeling back there, but I feel his comfort here today. I feel the spirit of comfort in this place. I, I know he sent a comforter, and I feel him operating in this service right now. Praise God. And I'm praying that God would have his way in each one of us today. Somebody say amen. Amen. I want to take just a moment today uh, to have special prayer. Uh, uh, some of you may know uh, Brother Greg Albritton, preacher of the gospel, pastor of church in Colorado, and, and now is back in Alexandria, he and his wife and their three children. And they were coordinators of the junior quizzing ministry there in Louisiana. Brother Greg Albritton came through some really trying times in the last year to year and a half, two years maybe, uh, times where he couldn't even walk. We made it a matter of prayer. He was physically going through a very troublesome time, and their family navigated through all that with the help of the Lord and the prayers of his people. And uh, this past Friday, they experienced another tragedy. Uh, Brother Greg's wife uh, took her own life uh, this past Friday. We're all kind of, you know, I'm, I'm just glad at this moment that I'm not the Lord, that I'm not God. He's a faithful, he's a faithful God. And uh, so I want us to pray for that family today. Greg is left with three children and, and uh, questions and, and uh, only the grace of God is going to be able to sustain him in this time. But I believe the Lord's able to bring us through. We are his children. Somebody say amen. He knows where we are even when we're depressed or discouraged or battling physical uh, illness. He's a God that's faithful. So I'd just like for you to lift up your hands and pray right now for the Albritton family. Would you do that right now, Greg and his children and those that remain today? 
Amen. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus right now, Lord, as Greg sits in church today or his pastor preaches today, Lord, I pray there'd be a word that would go forth that would comfort him. I pray right now, Lord, those children be comforted by the only comforter we have, and that's the Holy Ghost. Lord, I praise you today for what you're going to do through this. And Lord, we walk by faith and not by sight. And Lord, we're both. that knows how to work impossible situations. I praise you, Lord. Strengthen his family today. Strengthen him today in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. I believe he's a prayer answering God. It's also good to have my mother here with us today. Amen. Mom. You can just call her mom. Just call her mom. Don't worry about all the names she does have. Just call her mom. Uh, and I guess if I could say, and I've said it before, uh, I'm here today by the grace of God, a wonderful Savior, and I'm thankful for Him in my life, but God gave me a praying mother, and I'm so thankful for that as well. It's good to have her today, and uh, it just so happens that as I preach today, I, I you know, I did, this week, I, this passage of Scripture that I'm going to read, I just kept mulling over it yesterday at the quizzing tournament I was had my phone out reading these verses again and and the Lord began to speak to me of course with all the things that go on in our lives I believe the word of the Lord is is quick it's timely it's it's the right thing you need at the right moment and so I believe the Holy Ghost is going to speak to us today but uh, I was made aware this morning early I thought you know mom's going to be here and I was kind of waiting to see when she's going to get here and then all of a sudden, I just thought, you know, if anybody epitomizes the, the sermon I'm going to preach today, she's a living example of what I'm going to preach today. And that's not why I'm preaching. It just so happens she's here today. So the Lord's good. He knows how to give you a living example. Somebody say amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you uh, open them to Acts chapter 1? And uh, that's a good place for a Pentecostal preacher to preach is in Acts. Amen. Acts chapter 1, we begin verse, with verse 1, and uh, I usually don't have a lengthy reading, but bear with me as I read 14 verses here. Acts 1, verse 1, the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to, both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles. So he showed himself alive, amen, he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for it, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father 
hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Somebody say praise the Lord. Let's pray together and ask the word to be alive in this place today and powerful. Would you do that? Lord, I thank you for your word. It is forever settled in heaven. I thank you for what you've spoken to me today. Now, God, I pray that that word that is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, it pierces down even dividing the soul and the spirit. I pray right now, God, that you divide what is temporal and what is eternal, what is natural and what is spiritual. I pray right now the word, Lord, would divide those things that are of this earth and those things that are not of this earth. I pray your word would minister to your people today. I pray, God, that our ears would hear it and our hearts would receive it. Let it increase faith in us today. In the name of Jesus, we praise you for it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I'm going to help the preacher preach today. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated in the name of the Lord. Amen. Next Sunday is a special day. It is Pentecost Sunday. I'm about to say Pentecost Sunday. This is a day we ought to celebrate because of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2 came when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Somebody say amen. In fact, let me say today, if you're here and you haven't experienced the Holy Ghost as they did in the book of Acts, I understand that you felt the Spirit or you've been prompted by the Spirit or you've even had the Spirit speak to you, but if you haven't experienced the Holy Ghost as they did in the book of Acts, you can receive the Holy Ghost today, amen, while the preacher is preaching, while we're praying at the end of this service. Amen. Not only that, but you can receive the Holy Ghost next Sunday. It can be a great Pentecost Sunday for you, just like it was in the book of Acts chapter 2. And uh, I, I'm thankful that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm thankful that what he promised to believers, the spirit of Jesus come to believers, the comforter and the guide. I'm thankful that we can experience that power of the infilling of the Holy Ghost just like they did in the book of Acts. We believe that. We want to see it. We desire it. 
Amen. Now we could excuse it. We could say, well, this is keeps it from happening or this those days are over or it was just for this group of people. But I'm believing that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he feels with his spirit. So next Sunday's a great day. But uh, thinking about that in the last few days, I was drawn to what was going on just before Pentecost Sunday, just before the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And so when you begin to read Acts chapter 1, you, you begin to understand what's going on just before this outpouring of the Holy Ghost. It's the story of Jesus and his disciples spending one last time together. And uh, the story of Jesus is the story of him being led to Jerusalem. Led to Jerusalem. The story of Jesus began in Bethlehem. It centered around for a time Nazareth. And then he was also ministering in the area of Galilee. But ultimately the story of Jesus is that he was led to Jerusalem. Everybody say, to Jerusalem. To Jerusalem. The Lord was led to Jerusalem. But we find in Acts 1, his ascension, we find that the story of those believers that are left, they are not told to just go to Jerusalem. The story of the church is that of being led from Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem, but the story does not end in Jerusalem. The story of every, every believer is the story of being led from Jerusalem. Somebody say amen. So let's talk about that for a minute. Jerusalem, the epicenter of religious life to every Jew. I guess if I put it into one word for a Jew, it would be utopia, where everything makes sense. The temple is there. The presence of God is there. You know, when you're not in Jerusalem, life has a way of, of, of taking the, the, the spirit right out of you. But oh, for those feast days where we could go to Jerusalem and experience the presence of God. It represented the ideal to the Jewish believer. Oh, if I could just get into the presence of of the Lord. This is what David talked about when he talked about going into the house of the Lord. Amen. Going to Jerusalem and, and experiencing what God had for his people. Life everywhere else was one thing. But Jerusalem was a place where you could put your faith in God and it seemed like all the questions of life would make sense for a season. It represented communion with God. It represented forgiveness of sins and the fellowship of the believers. It represented where your prayers are heard. It represents where the glory falls. I thank God for Jerusalem. And the Bible says that the story of Jesus led to Jerusalem. That's where he was crucified. That's where he was buried. And that's where he rose again. And that's where he ascended into heaven. And don't you forget, that's where he's coming back. But the story doesn't end in Jerusalem. 
Jesus leads every believer to Jerusalem out of darkness into marvelous light. We were foreigners and strangers and outcasts, but now we are citizens. We are sons and daughters. Paul said we have come to Mount Zion, to the city on the hill. Oh, praise God. I know this is Salem, but I'm in spiritual Jerusalem today, heading to the new Jerusalem one day. And Jesus brought me here. But I want to tell you something. Jesus said to them, you go and tarry in Jerusalem. Everybody say Jerusalem. The Lord told them, my story ends in Jerusalem. Your story begins in Jerusalem. You need the Holy Ghost to go from Jerusalem. <laughs> no, you didn't hear me. I said you need the Holy Ghost to go from Jerusalem. What I'm saying is when things are not ideal, when things are not a utopian ideal, when things don't quite make sense, when there's not much communion, when you don't feel like you've been forgiven, when you don't feel like you're among the believers and you're at work on Tuesday or Wednesday, you're not leaving what I found and experienced in Jerusalem. Yes, I'm not walking away from the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. I'm not leaving what I found in Jerusalem, but yes, in one way I am. Because Paul said in Hebrews 6, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, go on to perfection. Don't lay again the foundation of repentance or of faith or of baptism or of laying on of hands or resurrection or eternal judgment. I'm preaching today from Jerusalem. It's not enough to be led to Jerusalem. We've got to go from Jerusalem. And this is what Jesus is trying to get across to those disciples. Jesus had been crucified just before Passover. The Feast of Pentecost was 50 days after the Passover. So in a rough timeline, the resurrection's on the third day, the first day of the week. And the Bible said he appeared 40 days unto them and then ascended into heaven. That leaves a week in the upper room in Jerusalem. I often wondered what happened while they were waiting in the upper room. I'm only told one short verse well, we, we find that they uh, replaced Judas and all that. But I'm talking about, well, it was spiritual, so I digress. Let me say this, that we just don't get a big picture of what's going on in that room. We do know that in seven days they got in one mind and one accord somehow. Somehow they got it all together. Somehow on the day of Pentecost, after seven days, they were in a spiritual position where they could receive what the Lord had sent them to Jerusalem to receive. The Bible says this about what happened in those seven days. They continued in prayer and in supplication. And then came the day of Pentecost. Now I'm going to do something I don't normally do today, but I just want to go through these verses for a minute in Acts 1 and verse 3. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. 
That verse says in this time just before the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, Jesus showed himself for 40 days instructing his disciples after his resurrection. The word is alive. He showed himself alive. Everybody say alive. Everybody shout alive. That's a key word in verse 3. He showed himself alive. It would be the word that would drive those disciples for the next 60 to 90 years. They would continually preach that he was alive. They would continue to tell that they had seen him alive. What were they saying? They were saying death could not hold him. This is important. Before the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, you've got to recognize that we are serving a victorious Savior. Death could not hold him. Amen. They were familiar. Oh, hallelujah. They were familiar with what had happened to Jesus. They saw it. They experienced it. They ran for their lives. So what did they know in verse 3? In those 40 days, Jesus showed himself alive. They realized that even the worst circumstances cannot kill you. No, before the outpouring of the Spirit, they had to come to a place where they realized, I don't know how bad it's going to get, but even the worst cannot kill you. Come on, I'm believing God for a Holy Ghost outpouring in this church. But we got to get some things straight before it happens. We've got to trust God to know that even in the worst of times, we're going to come forth alive. Our trouble is not going to kill us. Our difficulty is not going to destroy us. If we trust the Lord. In fact, in those times, they had recognized how he made it through such a terrible experience. The Bible tells us that Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. You see, trials, crucifixions can affect your body and your mind. Oh, but they cannot touch your spirit when your spirit is commended into the hand of Almighty God. No, I I can't describe for you the horror of what some people that sit before me today are going through. But I have to tell you, if you're going to make it through Calvary, you're going to have to put your spirit into the hands of the Lord. I may have doubts, but into your hand I commend my spirit. I may not understand what I'm going through, but into your hand I commend my spirit. Oh, come on right now. Let's give the Lord a good hand clap today. Oh, hallelujah. Come on. I'm preaching to somebody. I'm preaching to everybody today. I've come to tell somebody he can bring you alive out of every fire. He can bring you alive out of every situation. Come on, the king can throw you into the fire, but the king of kings knows how to bring you out of the fire. 
And that's what that old king said. Didn't we throw three men alive in? That's right. And the prince of life is in there with them. And he's going to bring them alive out of every situation. Come on, I know weeping endures for a night, but I'm telling you, the night is not over. But Jesus said the joy comes in the morning. He showed himself alive. I'm alive. I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He's telling those, that motley crew of disciples, you don't have to fear what things may befall you physically. And then the Bible says, not only in verse 3 did he show himself alive, but he began to speak of, speak of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Somebody say amen. amen. Jesus provided explanation, detailed explanation of the scriptures that foretold the plan of God. In other words, Jesus described the sovereign plan of God. The sovereign action of God. Now I wish every once in a while the Lord, you know, we do 30 days of prayer and some people do 40 days of this. And 40, I wish every year the Lord would just come down and for 40 days he would explain to us the kingdom of God. I wish he would tell us how he's going to do things and why he's going to do things so that after those first 40 days of the year, we could like whistle Dixie and go through life knowing that everything's going to be okay. But see, we don't get that. We walk by faith and not by sight. You see, there are times when I can't understand how a sovereign God is doing what he's doing. But I've lived long enough to know I can trust him. <laughs> that he's going to take care of his people that he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. Oh, anybody hearing what I'm saying today? And there were elements of God's plan, evidently, that were yet to be discovered as Jesus was explaining to them the kingdom of God. These things, uh, these disciples would struggle with even after hearing Jesus' explanation. And there are times when that happens, when we pray and we hear a word from God and then we get up and then the explanation doesn't quite make sense and we still struggle with it. Anybody hearing what I'm saying today? It's like David who knows he's anointed to be king, but he's at Ziklag and all of his family and his children have been kidnapped. I know what God has planned, but what's going on doesn't seem to make sense. It's the Sarah Hagar issue with the advancing age of Abraham and God's forgotten and he needs a little help and I don't understand what's going on. It's the Samson out of the eater came forth meat and out of the strong came forth sweetness it's that sometimes it doesn't seem like God is making much sense is anybody hearing what I'm saying 
But if we can't stop there, he, he began, he showed himself alive that, that these trials that you're going to experience, that don't fear death, don't worry what they can do to your body. And then he said, I want to explain to you the kingdom of God. I want to explain to you what's happening. And that leads us to verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. For John baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. It's like Jesus is giving them an example. He shows them how to endure the cross and then he talks to them about his sovereignty and the plan of God and how all things are, are going to work out to the good of them that love the Lord. <laughs> he was a living example of that but then he promises them the gift of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Jesus is closing out his earthly ministry. He's preparing the apostles for their earthly ministry. And during Jesus' ministry, there is no reference of the Holy Ghost being upon anyone else except Jesus. And the Bible tells us he went into the wilderness full of the Holy Ghost. And he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Ghost. And look what Jesus did. He raised the dead. He opened and blind eyes. He multiplied five loaves and two fishes and fed 5,000 men not counting the women and children. Look what he endured. He was rejected, called a drunkard, called a wine bibber and a sinner, but he just kept on doing what was right. <laughs> he showed himself alive. And John baptized, he said, with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Now what that word baptized means is to literally immerse a person in water or to deluge him. So Jesus said, just as John deluged you and immersed you into water, so will I immerse you into the Holy Ghost. You will be immersed in it. You will be deluged with it. I'm telling you what, friend, I don't understand how the Holy Ghost did all those actions in Jesus and then took over the apostles like he did and then us think that the Holy Ghost comes without us knowing it. <laughs> No, well, I shook the preacher's hand. That's when I, well, I went through confirmation. That's when, no, you can't be immersed with that kind of power and not know it. Oh, no, you're going to know it. You're going to go to the day. You're going to go to the hour, and you're going to say, that's the moment. I came out in the power of the Holy Ghost. And I want to tell you, we need that in this hour. There's a lot of people just going to church. There's a lot of people going to Jerusalem. But Jesus wants to lead us from Jerusalem. And I want to tell you, it's going to take the Holy Ghost to take you from Jerusalem. He commands them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait. Everybody say wait. Literally, stop departing from Jerusalem. That implies that the disciples had been coming and going. That implies that they had a lot of things going on. And he literally said, stop coming and going and wait. I can't tell you why the first time you asked the Lord for the Holy Ghost, he didn't give it to you. But I will tell you this, wait for it. 
and quit coming and going and quit thinking, well, it didn't happen the first time, so it must not know. You got to stop all that stuff. You got to say, Lord, I heard what you said, and I'm waiting until I'm endued with that power. Listen, for the day of Pentecost to come, we got to get all of our doubts out of our mind. We got to get all of our excuses out of our mind. We got to get all of our history out of our mind. And we got to say, Lord, I'm going to remain until I experience the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, I want to tell you, He wants to fill everybody in this room. I said, He wants to fill everybody in this room. He said, Stop coming and going and wait for the promise of the Father. You know what that means to me? That means that God knows what you need before you even know you need it. Some people say, well, I'm doing all right on my own. I don't even need that. No, Jesus said, you go wait. How would 12 men who had been with Jesus and seen the resurrection and all that stuff, they, you'd think that'd be good enough. No, he said, go wait. I know what you need. It's enough for me to walk with Jesus to get to Jerusalem. The spirit, any man that comes to God, the spirit has to draw him. I need to come to Jerusalem, but you got to have more than just uh, an. You got to have more than just a, a personal, maybe a casual relationship with Jesus to make it from Jerusalem. Those disciples had no idea what would happen in the next 90 years. But it's going to take more than just being in the same room with Jesus for you to make it from Jerusalem. Jesus can get you to Jerusalem, but you're going to need the power of the Holy Ghost to take you from Jerusalem. Come on, clap your hands under the Lord. Come on, clap your hands under the Lord right now. Come on. Come on, I need the Holy Ghost to go from Jerusalem. The Lord knows what you need. That leads me to verse 6. And when they therefore were come together, they asked him. Now they've seen him alive. They know that death can't hold you. They know don't fear the grave. Don't, don't fear the executioner. Don't fear the authorities. They, they'd seen that. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? And they had seen how the plan of God, although, although it looks dark at times, although it seems like God is forgotten, He has explained to them the kingdom of God. He shows them how that through all the troubles of Israel that God had a plan for a Redeemer. They have already heard that even though you may not know how and you don't know when, that there's always the plan of God is going to be brought to pass. And then he says to them that uh, they were to wait in Jerusalem. And the Bible says in verse 6, when they were come together, they asked him saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And I hurry. This verse clarifies that this was the last time Jesus appeared to them just prior to his ascension. Now, out of all of what we've already experienced, this is very important. This is the context of what's going on. This, this is kind of, this is where Jesus is with them and this is where they are with Jesus. Jesus is trying to describe to them that they can trust God. That, that even though circumstances don't look right, you can stand on his word. 
But that's not where they are. In fact, in verse 6, they're thinking about something totally different. They hear him saying that and they say, Oh, well then does that mean you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And the Bible tells us that they had this question. It is then that the disciples confused the kingdom of God with the kingdom of Israel. It is in that moment that when God is talking, Jesus is talking about sovereign things, that they confuse sovereign things with their world. They confuse God's kingdom with their kingdom. And well, we, we've got, you know, we, and it's even biblical. We know what's prophesied to Israel. We know what the Lord says about us. And, and we believe it's going to happen. And, and the Lord's trying to raise them a little higher than that. But they're still down here. They're, they're still in this mindset of how is it going to turn out for us? What's going to happen in our world? How is it going to be for us, Lord? And the disciples confuse God's kingdom with their kingdom. And this is quite easily done such passages as Joel chapter 2 and interpreted nationalistic they saw a general outpouring of the spirit on Israel as a mark of the final day of the Lord Joel spoke about it and when Israel would be restored to its former glory glory in the days of David and Solomon and Jesus they get this all mixed up they, they interpret it, it's in the Bible but they interpret it in, for their own personal uh, uh, gratification but Jesus directs them away from this matter of times and seasons Jesus has spent 40 days instructing them on the sovereignty of God and they're asking about times and seasons notice they did not ask if Jesus would now ascend to the throne they didn't ask that they ask hey what's going to happen in the next few months in fact, let me share with you an example of their confusion. Jesus, after he gets done talking, he has ascended from them. And the Bible says they stand there gazing. I don't know about you, but I've seen God move in some amazing ways. And I just stood there gazing. Wow. And the angels, the Bible said, stood by them and asked them, Why are you standing here gazing? These men were not sure what they just saw. No, you're not hearing me. I want to tell you there's times in your life that you're going to be left gazing. You don't know what you just saw. And it may be a move of God or it may be you losing your job or it may be the doctor giving you a bad report and you just stand there and gaze. What they just saw doesn't fit with their kingdom mentality. See, they said, will you restore the kingdom now? And then elite, wait, how can we get the kingdom if he's not here, there's sometimes the plan of God doesn't match my plans. There are times where he's going to be God and I just have to be a trustful child. There are times when he doesn't make sense. But oh, I need the Holy Ghost to make it another day. I need his spirit to get me through the darkest hour. Oh, come on, somebody clap your hands unto the Lord now. I don't understand what you're doing. Wait a minute. Even after all these explanations, they are left gazing. Wait. This doesn't fit. This, this, this doesn't make sense. 
Their question was about the end, the big finish. When will our struggles be over? I've heard people say, Brother Gene, I know the Lord said he wouldn't put on us more than we can bear. And I've heard him say, I don't know if I can bear much more. We've stood in situations gazing, just speechless, Lord. I, I don't know which ends up. I, I, I don't, but can you hear what he's saying? Go to Jerusalem and wait until you be endued with power. It will not make sense until you're empowered with the Holy Ghost. And I hurry. Acts chapter 1 and 7, and he said unto them, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father's put into his own power. Let me say to some good saints of God who are commissioned to see this community burst aflame with revival. Well, I got two amens. I said, let me speak to the saints of God who are commissioned to see this community explode in revival. The commission is not come to Jerusalem. The commission is go ye into all the world. Oh, you're not. I, I, I'm thankful for what I have in Jerusalem, but I need power to get me out of Jerusalem. Jesus got me here, but I need the Holy Ghost to get me out of here. He said unto them, it's not for you to know. I want to say to you, there are things only God knows and we cannot know. I'm going to say that again. There are things only God knows that I cannot know. Try as I may, pray as I may, study as I may, be obedient as I may. There are things only God knows and I cannot know. They're called times and seasons. See, this is a distraction for the disciples. While Jesus is talking about this great power that's going to propel them out of Jerusalem, they're concerned about times and seasons. Ecclesiastes 3 and 1 says, To everything there's a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. Oh, I know. We all know that. If you've lived a few years, you understand seasons. You understand there's the morning of childhood and adolescence. You understand the destruction that wasteth at noonday. You understand the pressure of midlife. And we understand the sunset as the years draw near. We understand what seasons are about. Marriages have them. Life has them. Raising kids has them. Homes have them. Everything in life has a season. To everything there is a season. And sometimes we want to know particulars about these seasons. But there are things that we cannot know. Lord, how am I going to make it through this? Well, you, it's not for you to know the times nor the seasons, but you need to go get the Holy Ghost so that you can trust God, so that you can make it through any battle, so that you've got the power to endure. Daniel 2, 21, he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings. He sets up kings. I still believe that. 
He changes the times. We've all been in seasons in our life that it hadn't been for the intervention of the Lord. He changed the season for us. I remember coming in weary, worn, and sad, but he changed the season for me. He took my sins away. I'm telling somebody right now the season may be dark and you don't know when the sun's going to come up again. But Daniel says he knows how to change the times and he knows how to take you to a new season. He takes kings down and he sits. Oh, I've come to tell somebody today he wants to bring down the high place and bring up the low place. Oh, somebody praise the Lord for a minute. Oh, come on, somebody praise the Lord. 1 Thessalonians, Paul says in chapter 5, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. No, 2 Kings 4, about this season, according to the time of life, you will embrace a son. There's a season for raising children and having children. Just get about my age and try to foster one. You'll find out that you're trying to get in a season that uh, has passed. Although there are great troopers that do it. This is why grandparents say I enjoy my grandkids because I can send them home to their parents. That's right. Because when you're that old, you're not supposed to be raising kids. That season is over. Daniel 7 says our lives were prolonged for a season and a time God even has a season of my life ordered Hosea 2 I'll return and take away my corn in the time therefore and my wine in the season there's a time of revival and there's a time of there's a time of harvest and a time of winter and a time of planting how am I going to make it through the seasons author and pastor Ben Patterson said it took nearly seven years for him to lose confidence in himself. He suffered two ruptured discs in the lower, in the lumbar region of his back. And he tells in his writings about it, the thoughts he had. He said, I guess I'll get a lot of reading done. Because of the pain meds, he couldn't even focus on reading. He states that he couldn't lay in bed, so he, would, he spent six weeks laying on the floor he said, by his own admission, he said, a trip to the bathroom was a race between my bladder and my capacity for pain. He couldn't preach, couldn't teach, couldn't make calls, couldn't go to church. What a season. All he could do was lay on the floor and pray. And he asked his wife for the church directory with the picture so he could pray for every person in the church every day. And very quickly he said those times of prayer became very sweet. And after he recovered, he was praying one day and said to the Lord, It's too hard, it's too bad, Lord, I don't have time to do this when I'm at work. I don't have time to pray like this. He was, after he's recovered, he was praying, Lord, it's too bad that I don't have the time like I used to when I was sick. And I, I could pray all the time. The Lord spoke to him and he said, this, I quote, he said, not me, the Lord said, stupid you have the same 24 hours each day when you're sick as when you're well. 
The trouble with you, Ben, is when you're well, you think you're in charge. And when you're sick, you know you're not. God's in charge. And I need the Holy Ghost to remind me of that. See, I need to do more than just go to Jerusalem. See, I got my own little kingdom that I think works out wonderful with God. But this is not going to Jerusalem. This is about the power to go from Jerusalem. He said what I discovered. Listen, he said prayerlessness is the worst sin because it bespeaks as nothing else does that root of all sin. For although they knew God, neither, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. It's what I call the other side of faith. Hebrews eleven thirty two, And what shall I say, what shall I more say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah. Of David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Notice verse 35, it's coming, a change is coming. Women received their dead raised to life, and here it comes, and others. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection. Trials of cruel mocking, scourging, yea, moreover in bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, tormented. Am I preaching to a saint of God today? I don't know what side of and others you fall on. There's been some times in my life I was before and others because I was pulling down strongholds and waxing valiant in the fight. I was turning to flight the armies of the aliens. But I've also lived behind and others when there was torment and trouble and discouragement. I've come to tell somebody no matter which side of and others you're on the Lord is faithful in victory and the Lord is faithful when you don't see your way out no it's not always going to be roses but you're going to need the Holy Ghost to make it beyond and others I like this part it didn't say it about the pre and others the Barracks, the Gideons, the Samsons, the Davids. No, it says it about the post and others. The tormented ones, the trialed ones, the scourged ones, the mocked ones. This is what it says about them, verse 38. Of whom the world was not worthy. They're so special. They're enduring under great struggle. 
Come on, your faith is not in vain, saint. You were praying yesterday, and God has answered your prayer with just a simple message in a pulpit. Your prayers are not in vain. The Lord is hearing every... Oh, somebody needs to hear what I'm saying right now. The Lord has come to tell you that even in your darkest moment, you're very special to Him. This world is not worthy of your faith. You're making it through tumultuous times. You've made it through terrible situations. They wandered in deserts, in mountains, and dens, and caves. These all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Leads me to Romans 8, 28. But we know that all things work together. See, this is what those disciples, their heads spinning. Lord, here you are, you're raised from the dead, set up the kingdom, and then he leaves. And he said, don't worry about this. Go wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Ghost. Your motives are not right. Your ideas about the kingdom are not right. And I know sometimes what you're going through doesn't match with Romans 8.28. But it's true. The devil is a liar. We know that all things work together for the good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. Listen, this is very important. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called them he justified And whom he justified them he also glorified What shall we say to these things If God be for us Oh, somebody ought to rejoice today. The Holy Ghost gives me power to go from Jerusalem. Jesus brought me to Jerusalem But there's life beyond Jerusalem If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or perilous sword? It is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things things we are more than conquerors I just wish you'd praise God for a minute in all these things we're more than conquerors in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us we're going to make it Come on, I know God's not making much sense, but you've got power to lead Jerusalem. You've got power to make it through your situation. You've got power to go to Rome. You've got power to spread the gospel around the world. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Oh, hallelujah. Which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So they ask him about times and seasons, and he says, Don't worry about that. Some things I know that you're not ever gonna know. But then verse 8, but listen, 
how quickly he turns it. But you shall receive power. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem. There, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, until the uttermost part of the earth. You shall receive power. The word is dunamis. It's the same word used of Jesus' miracles in the Gospels. It's the same word. What opened the blind eyes is what you've got today in the power of the Holy Ghost. The power that brought Lazarus out of that grave is the power you have today. It's the Spirit's power. It's not any different. It's the same word as what Jesus used to perform all those miracles. Every saint of God, you've got what it takes to make it from Jerusalem. Come on. I'm telling you, Jesus brings you into Mount Zion, but you need the Spirit's power to take you the rest of the way. You need the you shall receive the Holy Ghost. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come on you. And that leads me to close today with this thought. The Spirit makes it possible for the believer to exist in the world for an indefinite period of time they're wondering about when it's going to end and Jesus said ho 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 I'm sending the spirit and it's going to keep you as long as it needs to keep you times and seasons forget about it things going on in your family I know you're worried but there's things God's doing that you can't understand but what I will tell you I don't know how long it's going to endure but the spirit is the thing that's going to take you all the way to the end Oh, and I'm so glad the Holy Ghost is not another. It's Christ in me. And he said, I'll go with you and I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I don't know how it's gonna, bad it's going to get in America. I don't know how bad it's going to get in your own life. But I want to tell you the Holy Ghost makes it possible for you to make it all the way to the end. Oh, and I don't know about you, but I need the Holy Ghost. I need the comforter today. I need the Holy Ghost. I need the God today. So this little discourse about Jerusalem and going and waiting, in the middle of that is a a lesson on sovereignty. And basically Jesus is saying, guys, you're going to have to... Surrender your plans and your thoughts and your agenda. Go to Jerusalem and put all that stuff on the altar. So I get back to that question I started with. I wondered what they were doing for seven days in the upper room. Well, now it kind of makes sense because of the dialogue that had just happened. They were so full of their own agenda. They had to get in that upper room and say, Lord, not, not my will, but thy will be done. Lord, we want to follow you. There had to be a breaking of the will. There had to be a, Lord, I don't understand, but we're going to trust you. We know you're a man of your word. I believe that needs to happen in this service today. I don't know what's going to happen next Sunday. I'm believing God for people to get the Holy Ghost all over this place. But I believe today, I'm preaching, and I know I've preached too long. I'm sorry, but I'll say this. 
there are saints here today that all, all you can do is go back to a date where you received the Holy Ghost. And in Pentecost, we're in danger of making it just an experience. It is more than an experience. You need to be stirred up every day. You need to stir up the gift every day. Why? You don't know what you're going to face tomorrow. You don't have time to go six months without having a Holy Ghost breakthrough. The Holy Ghost is the only thing that's going to keep you going through everything you're going to face. We don't have time to take a Sunday off. I can't understand people who are more worried about their child misbehaving than they are getting to the altar and praying through. Hey, don't worry. We'll take care of your kid. We'll make sure they don't go out the door. Don't worry about all that. Just get what you need from the Lord today. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You need the Holy Ghost to make it another day. Oh, yes, you do. I've seen people get cold and then I realize, you know what? They got cold first because they didn't frequent the altar. I'm not talking about a location. I'm talking about a place. I'm talking about a place spiritually. I need the Holy Ghost every day. I will tell you what, when I get a phone call from my mother on Friday, says, I got bad news to tell you. And I, all of a sudden, I try to start grasping the sovereignty of God and all that. I need the Holy Ghost. I need a comforter in that moment. I need the Spirit of God to walk in there and say, hey, everything's going to be all right. Don't you, don't you give up. Don't you quit. Don't you worry. I'm telling you, there are saints of God in this room that you're holding on to the end of the rope. But I'm telling you right now, the comforter is here. And if you'll surrender to God and open your hands and say, Lord, I don't understand it. Some of you like to understand it. I like those old saints of God, you know, they don't write songs like they used to. But some of those old saints of God, they, they didn't hardly have two dimes to rub together and their, their world was very temporal. We're a little more secure now than they were. And they had an old song. I was singing it Friday and yesterday. In fact, Friday, Friday I was singing it so loud I thought somebody's going to hear me. And then I thought, you know, some, something in me said, hey, you're going to have to be quiet because somebody's going to hear you. I wasn't in church. I wasn't in prayer meeting. I was out, uh, you know, other people that didn't know what it, whether the relationship with God, I don't know. But I was singing it so loud. Something said, you, you're going to have to quiet down because some people don't know that song. And I thought, no, I'm going to sing it louder. And I just start singing. People kind of watching me. And you know what it was? Oh, by and by, when the morning comes, oh, all the saints of God are gathered home. We will tell the story how we've overcome. Oh, and we'll understand it better by and by. Oh, now by and by, when the morning comes. Well, I'm telling you all the saints of God will gather home. Well, we will tell the story how we've overcome and we'll understand it. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost. We're going to sing it again. Oh, yes, now by and by. Oh, when the morning comes, well, all the saints of God will gather home where we will tell the story how 
how we've overcome. Oh, and we'll understand it better. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. We're going to sing it again. Yeah, by and by. Oh, when the morning comes. Oh, come on. We'll be gathered home when we will tell the glad story how we've overcome. Oh, I, something's rising up in us. We're going to sing it again. Oh, bye. One of these days, I'm going to understand it. Well, all the saints of God are gathered. 